All right. Time to get into the Word. We've got two scripture readings this morning. The first comes from Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, and it says, You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. And the second comes from 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, and it says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. All right. So, welcome to the neighborhood, Building Healthy Community. We've spent, uh, this is now week seven in this series, uh, week seven on learning how to build healthy community, especially when over the last couple of weeks, or last couple of years, uh, that has not been very easy to do. And so, uh, we've been talking about what healthy community looks like from the Ten Commandments. And if you haven't noticed yet, Scripture often offers two sides to the same story, right? Two sides to the same point. Okay, let me give you an example from the last couple weeks, right? A couple weeks ago, we talked about not committing murder, right? The commandment is do not commit murder, right? There is a thing you should not do, but there is implied in that. And the thing we talked about was do not commit murder is the command you're not supposed to do. But the thing you're supposed to do, the flip side, right, is to seek life, right? There's, there's, there's the negative and the positive on each of these, right? It's do not commit adultery. That's the negative but you're supposed to do seek healthy relationships. And so there's both sides, right? There are things you don't do, and there are things that you, dare I say, do do. <laughs> there are both sides, all right? Both sides. There are things not to do, and there are things that we should do. And so our verses today are no different. We're going to look at both sides of Exodus chapter 20, verse 16. And so side one comes from the negative, right? It, it, it says you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, right? This is another thing that Christians are not supposed to do. It's something we oppose. We oppose lying. We oppose falsehood. We oppose gossip because gossip at its core, you, gossip is a thing that you do not know to be true. And so we oppose these things, and oftentimes, and the unfortunate part for the church is, we've become known for the things that we oppose, right? The church is known more for the things we stand against than the things that we stand for. And it's usually because we don't look at the other side of the coin, right? We look at the negative side, which says, you shall not give false testimony, and we think, well, boom, God said it, we're done. That's the end of the story. But what's, what's the flip side, right? And so side one is a mandate, right? God is opposed to lies. He's opposed to false testimony, Failing to tell the truth poses a problem for believers. Because the Lord is very clear on where he stands on lying, right? In Proverbs 12, 22, it says very directly, the Lord detests lying lips, right? Not that the Lord kind of doesn't like it or that the Lord is uncomfortable with it. The Lord detests lying lips. In fact, this is how serious it gets. In John chapter 8, 44, Jesus says this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So see, Jesus directly connects lying and not telling the truth to the enemy. That when we lie, we cannot be doing the work of God. Because lies do not come from God. He says that lies are authored, fathered 
by the devil. Now, that makes me a little nervous, right? Because if we're being honest, all of us in our lives have told a lie of some kind. Or maybe it's a half-truth, right? I think of in the Old Testament with Aaron and Moses. And Moses, he goes up on the mountain, and he comes back down, and there's a golden calf that they're worshiping. And Moses says, what in the world are you guys doing? And so he goes to Aaron, who was kind of left in charge, right? He goes to Aaron, and he says, Aaron, what happened? And here's, here's what Aaron says. You ready? It's, it kind of cracks me up. He goes, look, they just gave me all their gold. All I did was put it in the furnace, and out came a calf. That's what he said, right? Now, is that halfway true? Because the people asked him to do this? Yes. Was it also halfway a lie? Because you don't just put gold into the thing and it comes out as a calf? Yes, right? So, so this lying problem, it goes way back, but it doesn't come from God, right? You look even in the very first story in Scripture with Adam and Eve, right? The, the serpent's goal, when he, when he comes to the woman, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't come and directly make her sin, right? He starts to question with lies. He sows these lies. He says, did God really say you can't eat from that tree? Did he really? And he lies. And then what, what happens with Adam and Eve, right? They start playing the blame game, right? They're lying too. Because God goes, Adam, what did you do? And he's like, she did it. And then so, so then he's like, so he goes to Eve and he says, Eve, what'd you do? The serpent did it. I didn't do it. He made me do it. See, this lying problem, it has been from the very beginning. And it's, it's because the enemy sows these mistruths he sows these lies, these falsehoods, into our lives. But lies do not come from God. And so, so when you tell lies, okay, by default here, when you tell a lie, you are doing the work of the devil. You are doing the work of Satan, of the enemy. Right? There's no, there's no middle ground. We don't lie to do the work of God. The work of God is built on truth. And Jesus here goes one step further. He even connects lying to murder, right? Because he says, he says, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him, right? He says, look, lying and murder are connected to each other. Because lying takes away life from people, right? When you lie about someone, it is draining. Now, look, with that, with, 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 <laughs> With risking not going down a rabbit hole here, I've had a dump truck full of lies told about me in the last two years. It has drained me. I am exhausted by all of it. <laughs> right? Lying steals life from people. But lying also, unbeknownst to you, steals your own life. <laughs> because the more we lie, the more we tell falsehoods, the more we don't tell the truth, the deeper and deeper into the enemy camp we become. And the enemy, the scripture tells us, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. His only purpose for your life is to absolutely destroy you. So lying not only takes life away from other people and other situations and other places that you're telling these lies about, it takes the life from you. See, God takes lying extremely seriously. In fact, let me share with you a story from the negative side of the coin. And this is kind of an extreme one. But in Acts chapter 5, it says, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, uh, sold a piece of property. Now, the context on this story is, is pretty simple. In the book of Acts, the church was so tight-knit, they loved each other so much, that if somebody in the church was in need, somebody would sell their property and give all that money to the church so the church could take care of that person. 
right? And people were doing this, and you have to imagine when people do that, the people around them go, oh, wow, that's really good. You guys are great. Like, way to follow Jesus, right? And so Ananias and Sapphira, they go, well, we want people to think that about us, right? We want people to know that we follow Jesus and we're, we're righteous and holy, but we also kind of want to not give all of it. Like, do we have to give all of the price? So they decide they're going to sell property. They're going to tell Paul or Peter, they're going to tell Peter, we sold it for this price, and they're going to take a little off the top for themselves, right? That's all we sold it for, Peter, I swear. And so it says, with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. And Peter, who has an incredible gift of discernment, immediately says, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. Right? He says, Ananias, you're lying to me. Right? The, the, the problem here was not that Ananias didn't give the whole amount. The problem was that he lied about it. <laughs> now, in, in, in our house, this is, like our, this is like our number one rule with the girls, right? Our number one rule is always, look, you can do the dumbest, stupidest thing you've ever done in your entire life. And will we be a little upset about it? Yes. But are we going to be really, really upset if you lie to us about it? Absolutely, right? You're going to be much worse off if you lie about it than if you just tell me the truth about the dumb thing you did, right? So Ananias here, he gets the very extreme end of this. You ready for this? Verse 5. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. <laughs> Just like that. Boom. Done. And it says, And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And then some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. And about three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, how could you conspire to test the spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. See, lying is a problem, right? Not telling the truth and the whole truth is a problem. And you might think to yourself, look, I've told... I've told plenty of lies in my life, and I've never fallen over dead, right? But Scripture tells us that the end result of sin is always death, right? It is always death. It might not be an immediate death, but it is certainly death. So that's one side of this coin, right? Do not tell false, do not give false testimony. Do not tell lies. Now, there is a flip side to this, right? Because if we're going to just say, don't tell lies, then well, what are we going to say? Right? If, I can't, if I can't tell lies, what should I say? Well, we shouldn't tell lies, but instead we should speak the truth in love. That's what it says in Ephesians 4.15 and Zechariah 8.16. Speak the truth in love. Right? It's the do nots, do not lie, and the do. Do speak the truth with love. Right? Because I think we all know people in our lives who are really good at speaking truth, but man, are they not very loving about it. <laughs> And just as we are to not lie, we are to instead speak the truth in love. Why do we speak the truth? Well, because in John 8, 32, Jesus tells us that the truth will set you free. The truth sets you free. 
In fact, he even goes as far as to say in John 14, 6, that he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right? Jesus says, I am the truth. Everything about Jesus is truth. Everything he says is truth. Have you ever considered that when God created the world, he spoke it into existence? Right? He said, let there be light. There's light. Right? Let there be land and sea. Boom. Land and sea. What God says is truth. And so Jesus says, I am the truth. Everything I live, everything I inhabit is the truth. Right? What is true or false is what is in Jesus or not. <laughs> and so then how do we know the truth? If, we're gonna, if we're, our goal is to speak the truth and we know that Jesus is the truth, how do we know the truth? Well, in John 16, 13, Jesus says this. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, that is the Holy Spirit, right? He calls him the spirit of truth. When he comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come, right? He says the spirit is going to lead you into truth. That if you are reliant upon Jesus, you've given your life over, and you are, you are listening for the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the truth. Now, sometimes that is through a sense of discernment right? Sometimes it's more direct than that even, right? Sometimes it's this, like the situation plays out in front of you and you're like, well, I can see the truth here. But other times it requires a, a discernment from God. I think we all probably know people who just have a knack for discernment. Like they, they can see through the, the surface stuff and they see what's going on at the core. And then there are other moments that scripture calls a word of knowledge where the, the, the spirit literally just dumps a piece of truth in your head. Right? It's that moment when you're praying for somebody and, and in your head you're going, why am I praying for that? And then you get done and that person goes, how did you know I was dealing with that? Right? You're like, I don't know. I was praying. No matter how it comes, the, my point here is that the Spirit leads us into truth. Right? The Spirit leads us into the truth. There is this convicting peace. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we are led into truth. So let me share, share with you a story from the positive side, right? We have, we have Ananias and Sapphira. They die because they tell lies. On the positive side, in Luke 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Uh, now, if you remember, Zacchaeus, as the song goes, was a wee little man, right? He was short. And he was so short, but he was also a tax collector. He was very wealthy because tax collectors in that time were skimming off the top. Everybody knew it, but there's nothing to really do about it. Right? So they lied and cheated to get everything they had. And so Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, he wants to see who Jesus is, but he's too short. And so he goes ahead and he runs up and he climbs up this tree so he can see Jesus coming. And when Jesus reaches the spot, he says, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. How dare he? So Jesus has this encounter with Zacchaeus. He says, Zacchaeus, I'm going to come and eat with you. And because Jesus is spending time with Zacchaeus, and more importantly, because Zacchaeus is spending time with Jesus, guess what? He's getting convicted, right? The truth is about to set him free. In verse 8, it says, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. See, the truth in Zacchaeus' life, the truth came out as conviction. 
He felt convicted in that moment of all the times he had robbed or cheated somebody. All the times that he had, had used falsehood to gain for himself. And he says, look, I'm going to give it all away. I'll, I'll repay him four times what I took. And Jesus says to him, today salvation has come to this house. So Zacchaeus is convicted of the truth. He's convicted of his own lying, and it leads to his decision to give everything back. And because he does that, because of that conviction and because of that truth, salvation comes to his house. His whole life is transformed by the truth. See, there is, there is a great power in the truth, a power that a lot of us don't recognize. And I want to share, I want to share a final story this morning. Because our, our healing class on Sunday nights, we've been talking about healing and deliverance. And uh, tonight we're going to talk about the power of others' words that are spoken over us. Because a lot of what we're talking about in the deliverance stuff is being cursed. And most of us think of curses as like uh, witch doctors casting stuff on us and, you know, that kind of fun stuff. But in the book, he argues that, that often curses in our lives are more simple. They're not like a literal, like somebody cast it on us. They're the curses that are placed on us by the hurtful and untrue words that others say about us. Right? It's the, it's the kid who at, who at six has parents who are saying, you aren't good enough, you're ugly, you're dumb, you're, you're, you're never going to make it, you're never going to amount to anything. Right? Fill in the blank. We have, we have these words, and these words affect us. In fact, psychology even has a term for it. Right? Parental injunctions. These are things that are spoken over us that, that as adults and as youth, we try our hardest to overcome, and we say we don't believe it. And we're like, well, that's not true. I'm going to prove you wrong, right? But at some point deep within us, there's something within us that has been programmed to think that that's who we are. Now, I'll start before I even share this story by saying this. Those injunctions that, that, that our parents and our, our authority figures and the people around us speak over us, they're lies. They're lies because the Word of God says the exact opposite things about you and I. And so I want to share this story. I want to share this story from our book from this week. It's about a guy named Jerry Leach. He says, take, for example, the history of transvestite Jerry Leach. His mother often said, I wish you were a girl so you could take over my beauty shop when you grow up. And when Jerry started to try on dresses at age four, even his father encouraged him. You're better looking as a girl. His dad further confused him by accusing him of being a homosexual, though he was not. He simply wanted to dress like a woman. Later, Jerry married, but his sexual identity was confused. He longed at some deep level of his being to be a woman. His mother's statements that she would have preferred a daughter acted like a curse. He was trying to please her by becoming a girl. The good news, of course, is that Jesus can free us from bondage like this. Here's how he freed Jerry. This is from Jerry's words. Charlene, my wife, and I spent some time with Rita Bennett. When Rita prayed with me, I received a special visitation from Christ. During this prayer, I was called into manhood, masculinity, as Christ approached me on the front porch of our home when I was three years of age. I saw the following. Jesus came to me as I was standing there. I had been playing with my neighborhood girlfriend, Carol. She was extending her doll to me. I was making the decision that was to affect the rest of my life's choices. But the event took a different turn than it did 47 years past. For Jesus was within the situation standing beside me. I looked up into his face, such a calmness and strength about him. He smiled and said, Jerry, I have something here for you. It's much better for you 
It's okay to be a truck driver, to be a man. It's okay because that's what I want you to be. He then held out to me a large wood and obviously homemade red pickup truck. It was the neatest I'd seen. I took it from his large hand and placed it on the floor to play with it. I rolled it back and forth. It was very heavy. Jesus then began to make the sounds of an engine and to my surprise sat down beside me in order to share the fun with me. He was obviously having fun as well. Then he got up and clasped my hand. We were going somewhere. Before Jesus and I stepped off the porch, he turned and took hold of me at the waist, lifting me abruptly above his head, suspending me there for what seemed a long time. I was able to view this from both inside and outside of myself, and at one moment, I saw what appeared to be a single snapshot of the scene. And then I was looking down into the kindest face I'd ever seen. His eyes were filled with joy in me, his arms so strong. It seemed as though his hands completely encompassed my waist and the incredible strength it radiated from his forearms and his fingertips and into my arched body. And then he set me down firmly on my feet and said, come on, let's go for a walk. We arrived home from the conference late Saturday night. Sunday afternoon, I decided to go to the nearest gas station to fill up. And while I was there, the Holy Spirit directed me to go to the antique shop on the next block, saying, there's something I want you to see. I went and found on the counter an old wood red pickup truck, just like the one I saw during the time of inner healing. I bought it for $10, but would have taken it out alone in order to obtain it. And it now sits at a prominent place in our home, symbolizing the Lord's goodness. See, the truth, there is power in truth, right? His, these lies have been spoken over him. He believed him. He took him to his core and he struggled his whole life because these lies had taken root inside of him. But the truth, the truth set him free. See, the truth about Jerry was that God had created him with an identity and a purpose that had been completely thrown away because of the falsehoods that had been spoken over him. See, I think falsehood affects every single one of our lives. Sometimes they're spoken over us by others like our parents, or sometimes it's our peers. Sometimes we speak them over ourselves. And we combat these falsehoods. We combat them by speaking the truth in love toward one another. You know, I think sometimes we think of this speaking the truth in love as like we have to tell the harsh things, but lovingly, right? But sometimes speaking the truth in love is just because of the, the fullness of your heart, you feel like somebody's lived into the lies that have been told about them, that they're never gonna be enough, that they're not who they should be. The truth, the truth is what sets us free. Just like God's truth for Jerry set him free. Just like God's truth for Zacchaeus set Zacchaeus free. When we speak the truth, we bring life to those around us. See, community, we're talking about building healthy community, right? Community is destroyed by lies. But community is built up on truth. To build a healthy community, to be in healthy relationship with each other, we have to cast out all the falsehood and cling to the truth. So some of you this morning, some of you this morning, you've been, you've been deeply affected by falsehood. Your whole lives have been shaped by these things that have been said about you that simply are not true from the Lord. Because scripture tells us things like he has a plan for us, right? That God loves us and he wants great things in our lives. That he wants, that he has blessings for us, that our lives are meant for more. That he created us just the way we're meant to be. These are the things that scripture tell us. 
and yet the people around us tell us the opposite. And so I want to encourage you this morning. If you have been struggling with falsehoods, with these things that have been spoken over your lives for years and years, let the truth set you free this morning. Let the truth of who you are, of who God designed you to be, let it set you free this morning. Come and find freedom. I'm going to pray. If you, if you want to pray during this next song, I'll stand up just like I always do. You want to seek some truth, some healing this morning? Lord, we're thankful for the power of your truth. That no matter how many lies have been spoken over us, no matter how many curses have been cast upon us, no matter how many falsehoods we have taken to heart, God, your truth sets us free. And so this morning, Lord, I pray for all of those in the sound of my voice. And I pray, God, that you, would, that you would dive directly in their hearts and in their minds this morning to the places and the incidents that have shaped their lives since. All of the lies that they have believed. And God, I pray that you would erase them this morning. That you would replace them with your truth. With the truth of your love. With the truth of your mercy. With the truth of your plan. God, may your truth set us free this day in Jesus' name.